0: Judges chapter 20, if you're there in your Bible, say amen. Beginning in verse number 19, it says that the children of Israel rose up in the morning and camped against Gibeah. The men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. The children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day. Twenty and two thousand men. 22,000 died in this battle. It says that the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array in the place where they put themselves in array the first day. So they went into battle and they lost the battle. 22,000 of their friends, their brothers, their fathers, their sons, their family. 22,000 of them died in this battle. But they went back and they encouraged themselves in the Lord. They went back and going in the text, it says that they went into battle again the second day. They set themselves in array the same place. They went into battle the second day and they lost again. 18,000 more of them died. But yet they went to the Lord and they encouraged themselves. And on the third day, there was a great victory. I want you to turn with me, if you would, over to the book of 1 uh, Samuel. A couple of books to you, right? 1 Samuel chapter number 30. I want to look at one more short passage real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning in verse number 3. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. I want you to understand, David and his men have been out fighting. They've been at war. They've been out fighting for the country. They've been out fighting for a good cause. They've been out fighting for things. They come back and their city is destroyed. Their children, their wives, everything is taken. It says that behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wept until you had no more power to weep? Anybody ever cried all night? Anybody ever been so broken, so broken hearted, so down, so out of water, you have nothing else left to, to cry. That's what it says. They have no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stone in him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I want to look for a few minutes this morning and be encouraged. God has a plan. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, I thank you, Father, for just the reality, the the hope, God. I thank you, Father, that you do inhabit the praises of your people. I thank you for your presence in this place, God. But I thank you, Father, that you've put us here as usable vessels, God. Lord, you've called missionaries to go, but you've called all of us to be a missionary in our life, God. We don't have to get on a plane, a boat. We don't have to go anywhere to be a missionary, all we got to do is live a Christian life, God. All we got to do is put you first, Father. I pray this morning, would you give us some hope, give us some encouragement. I pray you give us a challenge. I pray that we walk out eager to be about your business, God, to be everything that you'd have us to be. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So here in Judges chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 30, we find the exact same words used there in the midst of trouble. And in each case, they are in a bad situation. They are experiencing an extremely difficult time in their life. But it says that they encourage themselves in the Lord. How do you encourage yourself when it seems like everything is against you? What we see is they they exercised their faith in God. They exercise their faith in God's power. They exercise their faith in God's providence. They exercise their faith in God's promises. See, has God been good to anybody in here in your past? They exercise their faith in God's faithfulness in their lives, they, they remembered God's faithfulness. They remembered that if God brought me to here, God will take me through here. They remembered all the places that they've been before when God showed up. They remembered how God showed up in the midst of their sin. Jesus Christ washed away all the sin. They began to remember things that God had, had done for them. They exercised by remembering how good and by remembering the promises of God that this too shall pass. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. I've got plans bigger and better than any storm. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. They exercised their faith. They encouraged themselves by what they knew about their God. How many of you want to live a happy life? That's a fair question, isn't it? How many of you would love to live the rest of your life and never again be discouraged? Well, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Pretty lofty goal. Probably not going to happen. The the, the reality is, is, is life is full of disappointments, and disappointments lead to discouragement. But the problem is not the discouragement. The problem is what do we do when we are discouraged? You know, David was discouraged in Psalms 56. Matter of fact, he was afraid. And what David said is what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Anybody with me? The man after God's own heart, David, the the, the hero, the champion. He he says, what time I'm afraid. You know what that tells me? There was times in his life that he was afraid. You know what that tells me? There's times in his life when, when he is discouraged. Dr. Charles Stanley says, disappointment is inevitable. But to become discouraged, there's a choice I make. God would never discourage me. He would always point me to himself to trust him. Therefore, my discouragement comes from Satan. That means disappointment comes from life, but discouragement is from the devil. The men of Israel says they sought the Lord. They encouraged themselves. David sought the Lord. It says he encouraged himself. The translation is he strengthened himself in the word of the Lord. You know, Wednesday nights, we've been studying for about a year and a half now, through the book of Acts, and I just plug one in. If you're dropping your children off down there on Wednesday night, you're setting a bad example when you drive out of this parking lot and leave them. I just lost half the crowd, but it don't matter. The truth is the truth, and I don't have any choice but to tell it. You're teaching your children, when you get big like me, you don't have to go to church. When you get big like me, it's not important. I'm going to drop you off and let you on your little Sunday school or to stuff, but when you get big, you don't have to go. But you're missing it. You're missing about more than the example that you're setting your children. You're missing it because on Wednesday nights, we just study the Word of God. And I don't know if anybody else here learned anything, but I learned a lot of stuff on Wednesday nights. So we just break down and we're doing kind of a, not really even a verse by verse, but we're just studying some things. But for more than a year and a half, we've been in the book of Acts. We've got about one, maybe two weeks left. Then we're going to go to another book and study. But, but here's, here's what, here's what we, we've been seeing. We, we've been in the past few weeks looking at encouragement through the storm. Chapter 27 of the book of Acts. Paul and company, and all the guys. I think it was 256. I don't remember how many souls on that boat. 200 and somebody. But but they've been. They, they got caught in a typhoon, and they spent 14 days in a typhoon, tossed around up and down in the ship, and they carried all the way across. and And now the ship's going to crash. They've they've had to throw everything overboard. They thrown all even the ship's tackle. They threw the food overboard. All of the the stuff that they were hauling that was supposed to be for profit. When they got to Rome, that they were going to make money off of. They had to throw everything 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 overboard just to keep the the ship afloat. And and now the ship is going to crash. It it looks like everything is bad. They realize they're approaching land in the dark, so they throw some anchors out to hold them still till daylight. Doesn't change their situation. It just means they're going to get to see where they crash. They're still going to crash. They're still going to be torn up upon the rocks, but, but at least they can see where they're going right now. It seems like everything is, is a disaster. But here's what we learned on Wednesday night. The place where they're going to crash, the island is called Malta or, or Melita. It is inhabited mainly by the Phoenician people. And it was the Phoenician sailors that named it. And, and in the Phoenician language, the word Malta m- means, means a place of, of, of encouragement. It, it, it is a place of, of, um, of the, the refuge. I lost my word. The the, the word means refuge. So this ship looks like it's going to crash. And indeed it is. But it's going to crash into a place called refuge. The word refuge means shelter from danger or distress. So what we see in chapter 27 verse 39. There's a word that's not used anywhere else in the Bible. No, Old Testament is not used anywhere else in the English version of the King James Bible. It's the only place you find a word and the word is creek. But what you find is the word creek comes from a word that's used a lot of times in the Bible. But every other time it's used, it is translated into bosom. Y'all getting there with me? So what seems to be a disaster was actually God delivering Paul into the bosom of the refuge. Into the center of the place of protection. Where he was going to take care of him for twofold. Number one, there's an island of people. You know all about it in the Philippines. There are islands of people who have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what these Phoenician people are. And God crashed his servant in to tell the people about Christ. But he did it to make a place of refuge. A place of safety. Safety, a place of shelter, a place of strengthening, a place of lifting up the Apostle Paul. Because from here he's going to send him to Rome and do some great and mighty works. Just because we may not understand our situation does not mean that God is not in control of our situation. Last week, y'all remember I shared with you about Brother Woody Mang a lot, right? We talked about Brother Woody over in the Philippines and we talked about their ministries, Faith Baptist Church. Ministries And y'all remember I, I shared a picture of some grass huts in some of their ministries, right? Yeah, that, that was last week. Dale, did you put that other picture up? This one picture I got this week. Boy, it's looks a little different, don't it? See, see, they had a typhoon there this week. Things don't look quite like the pictures that I showed you last week. So, Brother Woody, I'm sitting right by here Tuesday night. During reach, thank you, brother. You can you can put that one up. But I'm sitting right by here during reach, and I get a message from brother Woody. And I'll be honest, I, I sense a little concern in his messages. <laughs> They're in a typhoon. He he says he says that that it looks like the the roof of the ministry is about to fly away. The roof of the house is damaged. Water is running in. I mean, they're in the midst of a typhoon. They're in a scary situation. This is Daring Reach on Tuesday night. And he messaged me. I go out to, to check on to talk with him and try to encourage and, and, and to pray with him. But he said something to me. He said the plants were destroyed. I'm like, okay. Banana trees broke off. You know, well, we have storms, right? Everything breaks over. Everything falls. I don't really know what he's talking about. Wednesday morning, I get up and I check on him Wednesday morning. I wanted to see how they're doing. What's going on? Is the storm still there? And he shared some things with me that I didn't know. See, they had, God had made a way for them to buy a piece of property right over by where they lived. There in, in the village. And, and what happened? Some other people had helped and helped with money. And they had gotten seeds. And they had planted a little vegetable, a little vegetable farm. This is the farm there. And... He said, the livelihood farm has been wholly damaged. Thousands of plants we had sown had began to yield beans, okra, eggplant, watermelon. Even the trellises, elminai, are damaged. The and I built are damaged by the strong winds. And he sent me some, some videos. I could see some things. And one of them, the, the trellises, they literally are. They're like trellises built up. Any of you garden, you you know, like we're running beans with tomato cages or with, with grapes, muscadines, anything that runs, you put trellises or you put cables. You put things for them to run. On and the stringers they, they run, and that's how they produce fruit. They make it out. And, and what he showed me is that everything was damaged. He sent me a video. They are out in the storm. The news calls this a super typhoon. That means it winds at 150 miles an hour. It's raining, and they are in the storm picking what vegetables they can get their hands on. They're doing the best they can to salvage, to try and save something. But but I, I want you to understand, this, this farm is not for personal gain. This isn't their livelihood. This isn't to pick this crop and to sell. This is to be a blessing to their community. This is to grow food for the glory of God. To be able to go out and help other people. And everything was gone. Everything... For the ministry, now, you remember what I told you about them last week? I said, these guys are like at a whole nother level of worship. Y'all remember? I said, they're, they're just, they're, they're just not, they're not like us. Sorry, but they're not. They, they worship at God in ways that makes me ashamed to be around them. I told you we were down here at the rock altar praying and we're all standing around in a circle praying and they are on their face prostrate before God Almighty praying. That wasn't a show for us to see. That was the level of humility in their lives before God. There's a whole different caliber of people. They have a whole different faith. They're used in ways unimaginable. But in the messages he went on, he said, reminiscing of all the hard work and the finances of all those who helped us to buy seed, I don't know if we can start again. He said it takes months to recover. He said this week should be our time for missions that we go, but we're going to have to cancel the missions due to the typhoon. The mission roof needs to be replaced. The villages are affected. No one can go out and work. Many families and villages are affected. He said we have sown and began to yield. I'm reading this text to you. But he he said something. He said something that really struck me. I want you to understand. These are men. You know about the islands off the Philippines. There's lots of islands. And you can vouch for me. They're full of people that never heard the gospel. They're full of Muslims. They're full of people who do not know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these men get in these little boats to try to go out to these islands to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many times he talked about they sound like the apostle paul their little boats have been overcome with water i remember him telling about one night they were out and the waves overtook the boat and turned it over they spent the entire night and half of the next day holding on to the bottom of an upside down wooden boat waiting for somebody to come and rescue them and when the rescuers got there they didn't want to take them home they wanted to take them to the island where they could preach the gospel that they left home to go preach I'm talking about a whole different level of service from what we know. But but he said something. He he said something that, that just really struck me. He said, this should have been a great help. He's talking about the vegetables of mission. This should have been a great help to our people and to our mission works. But it's all gone. And then he wrote these words. I was so discouraged. everybody faces discouragement it doesn't matter how big your faith is it doesn't matter how strong your faith is it doesn't matter how much you trust God it doesn't matter how much you serve God everybody goes through discouragement but there's a key word in this text later on Wednesday when he sent me that the word says I was did y'all hear what I said I was so discouraged Can can I tell you, Wednesday afternoon, the wind was still blowing. The rain was still falling. The plants were still gone. The crop was still still destroyed. And and he encouraged himself. This is what he said. We were hoping that it should be a help with the yield. But God has a better plan. The typhoon still blowing. It's clearing out. It's on its way to China. How do you have... That kind of faith. I checked on them yesterday morning. Guess what? Remember the mission supposed to be, but we're not going to be able to do that because of the typhoon. Guess what they did? Oh, you got to know it. They went to Faith Baptist Church mission anyway. And this is what they said when we got there and we gathered, they were praising the Lord in the storm. See, the reason so many Christians are so discouraged is because we sit around and we focus on our problems. We sit around and focus on the things that we don't have instead of the things that we do have. We we sit around and focus on ourselves rather than focus on helping to others. Go ahead and tell them, Craig. When you focus on helping somebody else, it changes your opinion of you. When you focus on being a blessing to somebody else, when you focus on going out and trying to help somebody in their problems, you may help them, but it'll change you. Boy, it's quiet here on Sunday morning when you focus on trying to pick somebody else up, make a difference in somebody else's life. Giving them a meal may help them for a minute, but it'll change you forever. It may help them for long enough that however long a full belly lasts. That's about the length of time you may have helped them. If you didn't share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you ain't given them anything to hold on to. But if you gave them food, it'll last that length of time. But it'll make a change in your life that will never go away. We just got to learn to focus on helping other people. That was the guy I know. We went and did the ministry anyway. God has a better plan. How many of you know who Helen Keller is? Most of you. Yeah, so ought to be. I mean, pretty, pretty famous, right? American author. Here's her story. 1904, at the age of 24 years old, Keller was the first deaf, blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. Throughout her education, she learned to speak, leading her to give speeches on lectures and aspects of her life. She's blind and she's deaf. But she becomes an author that writes books and a speaker that speaks at public seminars, public meetings. Now, the story is she had a teacher named Ann Sullivan who somehow managed to get through to this little girl who had no communication skills. To be honest, wouldn't that seem impossible to most of us? I mean, why even try, right? She's blind. She's deaf. How am I going to get through? How is she ever going to be in anything? But, But Helen Keller, she went on to be an author. She went on to be a speaker. She could have easily focused on her challenges. She could have easily focused on what I can't do, but she chose to do what she could do. And it turned out that God used it to do great things. We spent the last two Sunday mornings looking at the fact that, that we are created by God for a purpose. Everybody here has a plan. Everybody here ha- has a purpose. But you know, it seems to be that no matter what God gives us to do, we always have an excuse. We always have an excuse as to why we can't, why I can't that day, why I can't at that time. There's always some, some "I can't." And the bottom line, it seems like people just say, "I can't about everything. No matter what ministry we're trying to put in, no matter what we're trying to do, no matter what we're trying to have, no matter what you try to put for the glory of God, the people come, there, there's always an I can in everything. There was a professor who, who challenged his students. Every semester he had the same challenge. He said, I want to challenge you this semester to set your goals, to do your absolute best to make straight A's in all your classes. And every semester it was always the same list of excuses. Now, I've never made straight A's in my life. I just don't have that kind of book smarts. Well, I've got Professor Jerk. He don't ever give A's to anybody. You don't understand. I work a 40-hour week just to go to school to pay my bills. You don't know what I go through. There's no way I can make straight A's. I do good just to pass. But he always would offer him a very special challenge. He said, I want you to think right now of the one person that means more to you than anybody in your life. Think of the one. Husband, wife, father, son, mother, daughter, parents. Hey, what? Think of the one person that means more to you than anybody else in this life. And you just found out that they have a sickness and they're going to die. Four to six months. That's what they give them. And this is the person that means more to you than anybody else. But you found out there's a surgery they can have that will save their life. They're going to die without it. They'll live with it, guaranteed. But it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. And insurance won't pay for it. You don't have the money. You don't know anybody that will give you that kind of money. You can go to a bank, but you can't borrow money for a surgery. There's a lot of stuff we can borrow money, but you can't borrow the money. So so this person's going to die unless they get this surgery, but you can't afford it. What if I came to you and and I said, I have the money. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer to pay for the surgery for your loved one. But only if you make straight A's this semester. He said, now I ask you, is it that you can't? Or is it that you won't? Is it that, that, that you can't make straight A's? Or is it you just choose not to put forth the effort? See, God does not give us anything to do that we can't do. We just choose not to. And many people sit around miserable because of it. A lot of people are miserable in church. They're miserable in stuff. It's because they're sitting on pews and they're not doing the things that God has designed them to do. I understand that we can't do everything physically. I get it. I mean, when, when the Summer Olympics come back on, y'all don't look for me out there. I'm not going to win a gold medal in track and field. It's just not going to happen. I'll make a deal with you. You don't look for me in the Summer Olympics and I won't look for you in the Falcons game opener as a starting quarterback. Fair enough. I, I, I get there's some things that we, we, just, we just can't do physically. But what we can do greatly outweighs what we can't do. And, and if we just surrender to God, God will never give us anything to do that we can't do. He'll never give us anything to do that he's not going to do through us. I put it in your bulletin. I know all of you have seen the quote before. He doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. He calls people to do something. And, and then for those who answer it, he does it through them. We, we look at the examples in the Word of God. When, when you go through this scripture right here, you're going to find one perfect person His name is Jesus Christ. You're not going to find any others. You're not, you're not going to find any more perfect people. You're not going to find anybody that doesn't have issues. You're not going to find anybody that doesn't face problems. You're not going to find anybody that doesn't deal with, with discouragement. You, you won't find any in here that did not have excuses. They all had their excuses up front as to why I can't yet. A multitude of people God used anyway, not perfect people. He used people with, with speech impediments. He used people that refused his direction on the front end. He, he used people that, that sinned against him. He used people that, that doubted God. He used adulterers. He used murderers. He, he used those that disobeyed him. He used those that ran from him. God used, the mul- as, as Mark said you know, on Monday night, he used some jacked up people just like us. When you look all throughout the word of God, you you find that God uses all of those mixed up, messed up people all throughout the Bible. What makes the difference in how God uses us is simply our attitude towards God. We all have the same thing. We all have the same God. If we're saved and we're Christians, we all have the same thing. We, we all have the, the, the same Jesus, the same blood, the same repentance, the same forgiveness, the same eternal home and glory. We all have the same thing in Christ. When it comes to our faith, there are some people who have a faith that people would pay an untold amount of money to have. And there are other people that you couldn't give your faith away if you added a $100 bill to it. But yet we have the same thing. So what's the difference? See, as Christians, we all have the same God. We don't all have the same confidence in our God. We all have the same God. We don't all have the same love for our God. We all have the same God, but we don't all have the same trust. We all have the same God, the same salvation, the same promises, but we don't all spend the same amount of time in the Word of God, learning about God, and carrying our troubles to God. You know those people that just seem like they always have joy in their life? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It doesn't matter what they're going through. They just always seem to have a joy. They, they always seem to have a joyful spirit. But can I tell you, they don't get that for free. That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't come for, for nothing. That they choose to pray every day. They choose to read God's word every day. They put their confidence in something greater than the things of this world. Everybody's looking for happiness, but happiness is temporary. Happiness is based on temporary things. Happiness can be taken away in a moment. Happiness is things that come and go, but joy is an emotion of the heart. Nothing can take away joy. Chris Thomas said on Friday night, the world didn't give us joy and the world can't take it away. Our joy is in the word of God. Joy isn't reserved for the really smart. It's not reserved for the famous. It's not reserved for the wealthy. Joy just comes from the simple things of life. Following God. Joy comes from the gospel. See, many people that have so much are so miserable because they spend all their time focusing on the things that they don't have. The greatest joy in this life Comes from fulfilling what God has designed us to be. Last week we looked at the toolbox and how everybody are all different tools. And we all have a specific place. We all have a different job. And 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 we all have di- different things to do. I, I brought something else this week. Anybody know what these are? All the young people said chopsticks. No, it was a pencil. So I know you guys use pens, gel pens, maybe for the most part. We just use text messages, right? But They still make pencils. And these pencils have got scriptures on them. 2 Peter 3.18. This has got Psalm 51.7. It's got John 14.2. They, 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 they've got scriptures on them. And, and these are special pencils. They're, they're, not, they're not special because of the scriptures on them. Special because of where I got them. My mom and dad gave me these when I was in middle school. 48 years ago. I don't know why I remember that. I was one year old in middle school. Sort of, kind of. So... so, I, I, th- there was actually four of these, and I think the other one was black, and it said something about your sins and, and washed away. I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure why, but, but I used one of them. But you know what that means? Now, i tell you, when they gave them to me, they were in a little four-pack. They were just like this, and a little pack with a little cardboard thing, plastic over it. And I put them on my desk with the right-hand side of my closet door. They stayed there all through high school, all through college. They stayed there until Robin and I got married and moved out, and, and, I, and I kept up with them. And to be honest with after we got married, I remember one time taking one of these and using it. And I don't really know why I decided to take one out and use it. But the reality, the, the one that I used is the only one that has ever achieved the purpose for which it was created. See, the same thing is true with Christians. Even though God loves us, and even though we're all very special, we're all very special to Jesus Christ because we were given to him by the Father through the gift. But so many of them have not fulfilled their purpose. I ran across this on your bulletin. I'm going to ask you to take your bulletin. I know you note know, takers, you already got it out. You use it. I hope it's a blessing to you. But I'm, I'm going to ask everybody if you take your bulletin out because I just want you to look at this one. I called it the parable of the pencil back there just because I need something. I found this several years ago. I ran across it again this week when I was studying some stuff about this on the pencils. And, and here, here's what it says. it says. the pencil maker took the pencil aside before placing it in the box. And he said, before I send you into the world, there's five things that you need to always remember and never forget, and you'll become the best pencil in the world. Number one. You'll be able to do many great things. But only if you allow yourself to be used. In someone else's hand. Number two. You will experience some painful sharpening. From time to time. But you'll need it to become a better pencil. Number three. You have an eraser. You'll be able to correct any mistakes. That you might make. Number four, the most important part of you will always be what's on the inside. Number five, on every surface that you are used, you must leave your mark. No matter what the condition, you must continue to write. Wednesday night, we looked at one simple truth this past Wednesday night. You don't have to reach the world. You just have to reach the one standing in front of you. You don't have to leave a mark on the world. You just have to make a mark on, on, on the surface where you're being applied. And Solomon didn't make a mark on the world. She just made a mark on Helen Keller. You just got to make the mark in the place where, you know, life brings a lot of discouraging situations. Never allow yourself to stay discouraged. Encourage yourself in the word of God. Never allow yourself to think that your life is insignificant. Never allow the enemy to tell you that you cannot be used for the glory of God. You were created for the glory of God. It's why we're here. Never let the enemy tell you that lie. Never view the sharpening as a bad thing. The sharpening may be painful, but it's necessary to make us a better pencil. You know, no no pencil can be used over and over without some occasional sharpening. Sometimes in life, we, we need to be sharpened. And here's the deal. It's not that you're not working. It's not that you're not doing things for God to be used by God. It's when you're using a pencil when it needs to be resharpened. The more you use it, the more you apply it, the the more the sharpening becomes necessary. When God is using us and we're doing the best we can and we feel like we're trying to serve God and it seems like hell shows up on our doorstep and everything's going wrong and we can't understand why would that be happening to me? That's because God's been using you and your points got dull. He needs to sharpen you a little bit because he's got something else for you to do. He's got another place to, to apply life. So never view the sharpening as a bad thing. Peter Marshall said, God will not permit troubles to come upon us unless he has a specific plan by which great blessings can come out of the difficulty. Band, you guys come on up. Where's my band? You guys come on up. I'm going to read that one to you again. Is it up there? God will not permit any troubles to come upon us unless he has a specific plan by which great blessings can come out of the difficulty. You know every one of us is gonna stand before God, right? Thank God as children of God, we won't stand at the great white throne of judgment. That's for everybody who refuses the Lord Jesus Christ. That is for everyone who refuses the free gift of God. They will stand before the great white throne of judgment, death and hell. And the seas gave up the dead, which of them and death and hell is cast into the lake of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There'll be eternal torment, separation from God, darkness always and forever. Praise God as children of God. You will never go to the great white throne of judgment. But we will go to the judgment seat of Christ. I, if, if I had time, I would turn there. But I know we're, we're already slow on time. But if you want to look, it's in, it's in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3. The, the Apostle Paul, he talks about how we'll be tried as by fire. And things that we did for the world, those things will be burned up by fire. But the things that we did for the glory of God, those, those things that we'll, we'll gain rewards from. But you know, Jesus taught us a parable In Matthew chapter 25, he taught us a parable about a a rich young ruler and he had some servants. And when he's going away, he gave one servant five talents. Y'all know the story? He gave another servant two talents and he gave another servant one talent. And when he came back, the one that had the five talents came and said, I use your five talents. I've worked. I've gained five more talents. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. The one that got the two talents came back and he'd worked. And he said, I've used them. I've gained two more talents. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. The one that had been given one, he said, I knew thee to be an austere man, hard man. Reap where you don't sow. And I was afraid. So I took the one talent that you gave me and I hid it in the ground and I brought it back. How can he say well done if you haven't done anything? Anybody looking forward to standing before Christ and hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Have you done anything to earn it? See, serving God comes after salvation. To that one, he 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 called him a, a wicked servant, slothful servant. He was useless. They, they were all the same, all three of them. He gave them different gifts. And, and one came back, had been sharpened, had been used, the other one used. But the other one came back. And, and here's the deal. He said, look, I, I'm a white pencil. I've got Psalms 51.7 on me. It says, wash me, I shall be washed. Whiter than snow. I got a great fear of standing before my God looking just like this one. I am washed white as snow, but I've still got everything just like he gave it to me. And I haven't used I got a great fear of standing there. and Hey, I wore a cross chain around my neck. I had a cross tattooed on my forearm. I got some scriptures tattooed on my hand. I got some scriptures written on me that says, hey, look at me. I'm a Christian, but I've not done one thing for the glory of God. See, when I stand before God, I want to look like that. I want to have nothing left in the tank. I want to have let God wash away all my sins, but I want to have used my eraser to have went to everybody that I've offended, everybody that I've hurt, every mistake that I've made, that I've been back and said I'm sorry. I want to have used that eraser up, correcting all my mistakes, but I want God to have sharpened me until there's nothing left to use. I don't want to stand before God like that. Hmm. Wonder why didn't you use all the talent that I gave you? Look at all that you had. Look at all that usability. I want to stand before God looking like that. And still the best part of me is what's on the inside. If we don't have Christ in us, we don't have anything. Let me ask you a question. Fair question. I've had to look at it all week. I might well dump it off in your lap and let you chew on it for a minute. If Gabriel sounded the trumpet right now, right now, anybody say, thank you, Jesus. It's been an exciting time. Amen. King of kings, Lord of lords, steps out on the cloud of glory. Come on, church. And we're called out. There's no more chance to work. No, there's no work in the grave. We looked at it last week. If we were called as Christians, as Christians, the trumpet sounds right now and we stand before God. Which one do we look like? How surrendered have we been? How much is God using you? How much are you going to let God use you? Here's the deal. If we don't die and the trumpet don't sound, every day is going to keep coming. And we have more and more opportunities to be sharpened. And we can choose to just hang on to something. I mean, how, you know, they're, they're special because of where I got them and they got these little scriptures. Where we can choose to be used for what we were designed to be used for. And that's to make a difference in the lives of others. Just for God to use us so he might do amazing things through us. I'm going to ask you guys to stand if you would. The band's going to sing. We'll take a few minutes and pray. God, use me as you will. God, I, I don't want to stand there like this. What does it take for me to look like this? I, I know it may involve some sharpening. And I know sharpening can be painful. But here's my deal. I don't want to be a cute little Christian with some scriptures tattooed on me. I want to be somebody used in the hand of God. Will you take me and use my life? We're going to take a few minutes and pray. Go ahead. I'm going to ask you real quick if you bow your heads. Is anybody in here you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? First and foremost. First and foremost. You can't surrender your life till you've given it to the Lord. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God, we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death, that death is hell. But the gift of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, is eternal life. It can change your eternal destiny today. Father forgive me I'm a sinner I'm asking you to forgive me my sins And save my soul I don't, I don't have a poem to give you it's Not some little lip service Surrender your heart to God Father I just want to be saved Father I don't just want to be saved But I want to be used for your glory I want you to cleanse me And make me white as snow Like this pencil right here Make, make me white as snow My sins are white as scarlet But don't leave me in this shape I want you to take my life and use it. For a lot of Christians in here this morning, we need that same part of that prayer. God, I want you to take my life and use it. Amen. Amen.